Hi, I'm Sarah, the manager here at One Up Coworking, and welcome to our expert panel podcast. These podcasts will be a chance for you to listen to our past virtual events and hopefully one up your knowledge in something new. We run virtual expert panels every other week, so head to the link below to see our upcoming events. This episode is around employee experience, and we had some great panelists, including Anthony A.J. Vaughan, founder of the E1B2 Collective, and Ollie Culverhouse, founder of Domo Group, which includes One Up and Signable. So without further ado, let's kick things off. I guess we'll get started. Um, so, uh, Anthony, do you want to kick us off and just tell, introduce yourself? Yes, how you guys doing? Um, I actually go by uh, AJ. Uh, so now that you guys are, are some friends here, I guess I'll let you guys uh, call me that. So people typically call me AJ, uh, my mom, colleagues, friends. Um, I guess Anthony's more of the, the LinkedIn professional thing. Um, so yeah, my name's AJ Vaughn or Anthony Vaughn, either way. Um, who am I? I guess I'll break it down this way. Um, I started a company at 19, uh, dropped out of university beginning of sophomore year. Uh, dad passed away, which was the main reason why I decided to come home. Um, I was trying to find something to keep myself busy. And uh, I was a former American football um, kind of D1. I don't know if you guys know about the American kind of structure, but there's different tiers of athletics and D1's kind of the highest tier. And so I was a D1 former athlete. Um, and so I started a year round football academy just to stay busy um, as I was kind of mourning the death and just kind of figuring things out. Um, and then pretty much 19 months, uh, seven figures later, partnership with the Under Armour later, um, I was looking at which one started as something that was a, a nice to have and a, something to keep me busy turned into uh, a full-fledged operation with uh, 50, uh, yeah, little go, little over 50 employees and whole management team. And next thing I know, I'm kind of operating a business, which um, was not uh, was not what I was planning on doing. Um, I definitely did not plan on going back to university, but uh, I definitely didn't plan on within an 18-month window uh, running a company of that many people and then having that much. Um, uh, responsibility of not only the cash that was coming in, but just all the different decisions that were needed to be made. Um, uh, I guess I'll try to segment it this way. I made a really poor decision, guys. Um, there was a guy that was, in my eyes, a partner who actually wanted to be an equity partner, something I think a lot of entrepreneurs to this day make the mistake of. Um, I did not grant him the access to be an actual equity partner. Um, he was the linchpin to the Under Armour contract along with another four other contracts. Long story short, guys, he left the business 37 days to the T. I'll never forget this. The business went to zero. Under Armour followed him. Every major contract and every major school and every major athlete followed him as well. Um, and uh, that taught me a lot, not just about how to build out an infrastructure that doesn't rely on one person, um, but it taught me a lot about leadership. It taught me a lot about people operations at a very thoughtful level, at a very operational level. It taught me a lot about employee experience. Um, I guess to speed the story up, guys, background went down a very deep rabbit hole of people operations, employee experience. Because of that, you know, neuroscience, organizational psychology, change management, anything you can think of. Um, as I was studying and researching, um, I'm just an entrepreneur at heart. I started a second company at 21, um, ran that company until I was 24. Uh, and then going on to my 25th birthday, I wanted to actually be a practitioner. 
became ahead of people for the last five years. I'm 30, guys, if you can do the math. Uh, I look a little older, though. I look like I'm 49, I always say. Um, uh, what else? Started dabbling in speaking, started a podcast about a year and a half ago. As you guys all know, COVID-19 hit. Um, and so I took all of my learnings and my experience of, like my hybrid perspective of being an entrepreneur slash people operations leader slash this weird maverick, I guess. Um, I developed this kind of perspective, employees first, business second, changing policies, changing best practices. Like it was an actual thing, not just a nice mantra or motivational statement. Um, and uh, I didn't want to sit around during COVID. So uh, my company was furloughed me and they're not back to this day. So I started my own company and I started three really. That's why it's a collective. So I started three companies with uh, 14 co-founders stretched amongst those three companies, did a lot of recruiting. Um, and so right now I'm working on the E1B2 Collective. Um, essentially guys, it's uh, three different functions that are in the events and workshop space, another function are in the employer branding recruiting space. And then the bread and butter, what I'm really excited about is jumping inside of small businesses and startups, um, trying to help them build out people operations, change leadership behavior, change infrastructure and build it out from the beginning. So let's call it like 40, 40 to 40 people to like 300 is like the spot because at 40, 50 people, you probably need to start thinking about these things. So uh, that's the sweet spot. That's the biggest thing that I'm working on. Um, and I'll pause there because I gave you guys a lot and I'll let Ali kind of give him, give his background, but that's, that's my background. And maybe I'll tell you guys some other things later. Fabulous. Thank you very much, AJ. Yeah. Um, and, and thank you for letting us call you AJ as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Oli, do you want to introduce yourself and talk about your background? Yeah. Um, so uh, I sort of set up the sub uh, demo group, which uh, was set up in two thousand and seven when I was went, when I was revising for mentally revising for final university exams. And uh, initially, we were kind of running as a, a company that built software for companies. Um, back when it was profitable to do so. Um, and at the time, it was only just the two of us. And then uh, things kind of grew. And um, our first kind of major project uh, product grew from that called Signable, which is an electronic signature document uh, management platform. Um, and this just kind of grew up from there and it allowed us to um, expand. And we, uh, so the company now uh, obviously encompasses Signable, it also encompasses uh, one up as well um, as a as a company, which is obviously doing co-working, but also um, really really kind of important stuff within um, leveling up yourself personally, your business, and also your community. Um, uh, the team at the moment we're about thirty people, um, and we are sort of more than doubling every single year. So um, uh, it's it's an interesting time, um, and we've obviously learned a lot from. Um, lots of hirings and, and uh, also lots of you know, firings as well in terms of letting people go and, and just kind of help grow and, and foster our own culture to, in, to basically create the environment that allows people to kind of do their best work really without feeling cycled and controlled. So that's Very interesting. <laughs> um, cool. So, um, yeah, I'll ask a few questions and if you guys want to sort of jump in and talk about you know, whatever you want to say on the topic and have a conversation and, and that kind 100%. of thing. So, 
let's let's start off talking about what are the benefits of positive employee experience. So why are, why should they be important to any business? Um, You're good, good. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, what's the yeah, um, I mean, I think it's um, if you want to um, if you want to kind of grow a, a company and also um, attract the right type of people, I think it's really important to create and foster that environment to allow them to do that. Um, for me, you know, it's your people are the number one part of any company, every other aspect, whether it comes down to idea or data or finance comes from hiring the right people. Um, that's not to say that you need to hire the right people or need to hire people to have a kind of a successful company at all. But if it's the type of company that does, um, require sort of uh, a bigger team, then, you know, engaging people and then actually allowing them to do, do what you ask them to do and actually what they can do and also what you know more than what they can do as well i think is is vital to not only retaining staff but also obviously attracting them but also being able to develop them and push them to be able to to do what they they actually want in life because i think a lot of companies do put, put their they basically think that the company that the person works for is the most important thing in their life and and you know, I think sometimes that's true. I think that a lot of the times people would rather be doing, you know, things outside of work rather than, you know, sat behind a desk doing, you know, doing whatever. And I think, I think being as a, you know, company, we've tried to kind of honour that and try to also try to create an environment that allows people to develop themselves both personally and professionally. And then obviously, you know, as a company, we can benefit from both already. Um, no, I was just going to I heard everything you said. I was just going to say a lot of that. I was gonna say, um, I was gonna say that I, I, I right? I think, um, I think for me, uh, how do I view it? How do I, how do I unpack it? Why do I think it's important? Um, so, I guess going back to my first mistake, frankly, um, I think, look, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and startups and and small businesses and even big size businesses really think about the product or the service or a lot of moving parts and Ali you you, you know this just as well as I do there's a and, and am I pronouncing your name right Ali yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, okay okay <laughs> um there's a there's a lot of decisions that need to be made outside of the people there's a lot of thinking that goes on there's a lot of uh there's a lot of stressful moments and I think you know those moments kind of take entrepreneurs away from actually what's most important right and so for me as i was building my first couple companies and then now kind of being back in the entrepreneurial seat i've, I've now kind of realized that you literally the first thing that i think i just want anyone to know is you literally do not have a business without your people unless you're running um a small lifestyle business where it's like you and maybe a subcontractor or two that helps you on ad hoc moments like there's no way that you can create anything somewhat even meaningful without those people that are around. Um, and knowing that reality uh, needs to like, just sit there for a moment. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, for whatever reason, don't admit that to themselves. Uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs know that logically, but emotionally and internally, there's some sort of like disconnect, which is very odd and confusing to me. Um, and so I think I wanna start there, like impactful that you're building can ever be built without anyone else around you so that's the reality and then for me the second reality as it pertains to employee experience is you know when I'm thinking about employee experience when I'm thinking about really the operational aspect of it I think about you know gratefulness of them even being here right like that's another level that I go to is like 
the fact that someone is willing to jump on my idea with me and get this idea off the ground on my behalf from my vision, there's a certain level of gratefulness that you have to have. Um, right now, I've gone through the process of recruiting like 14, 15 different people, and I tell them every single week, like, I, I, I have this level of gratefulness and this level of gratitude that they'll never even imagine because I took an idea that was in my head in the middle of a pandemic, and now you guys are willing to, to build this out with me. And that is something that, uh, to this day, I don't even think they really understand how grateful I am. And it's something I learned a lesson a long time ago. So the fact that you can't build anything alone and the fact that you have to have some gratefulness, that's two realities that, again, I'm just not seeing enough entrepreneurs really live into and understand. Um, and then I guess maybe to get a little bit more tactical to answer your question directly, um, I think why employee experience is, is, is important. Let me flip over to more of like the operational, like, like benefits of like the business side, right? Because, you know, I remember when I was the head of people, I would have Kevin and Donnie, uh, the two guys, and hopefully they'll never watch this one. Uh, they would always kind of not attack me, but kind of had these debates with me and say, Anthony, you're always going to side on the employee. Like you're always going to go with them. And I was like, no, I'm going to go what's right for the business. And the last time I checked, if we don't audit the way they like to get tasks done, if we don't audit their learning style, we don't audit the way they like to execute tasks, if we don't audit where they never want to be and find any way possible to massage their two perspectives, then we're never going to be able to scale this organization. And they were always so focused on what needed to selfishly get done for the business without actually auditing and understanding what selfishly the employees looking to accomplish and finding a way to merge the two. Um, so that would be the third tip. I, I kind of want to go further, but I'll, I'll pause for a moment and let you, you kind of dive in, Ali or Sarah, go along with whoever you want to do. But um, that auditing process is something that we do here that you want to be collective that I think is different enough that it really creates uh, an organizational kind of framework from an employee experience perspective that allows it to impact the bottom line and also impact the employees' hearts and their spirits. And it kind of creates that X, if you will. I think a lot of companies are focused a lot on objectively what needs to get done. We're the competencies out in the world that, that can get those things done. And then let's step back rather than trying to find that merger. So I don't know, those are like three high level thoughts, I think. I think, um, I think yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think that um, to touch on the first one you mentioned there, I think a lot of the problem comes from um, uh, entrepreneurs or, or, or owners of businesses who are recruiting people um, really kind of struggling or not necessarily realizing that they have issues with whether it being vulnerable or whether it being relinquishing some sort of control because I think every entrepreneur as I you know, obviously speak for myself but I think every entrepreneur that I've kind of met is deep down a little bit of a control freak because yep. you know rather than kind of following the kind of um, the general consensus and getting a, getting a sort of a job elsewhere. They want to create their own kind of, I'm not going to use the word destiny because it sounds a little bit like, a little bit like uh, on yeah. the nose, but they want to create their own path. And I think with doing that, that requires a lot of bravery. It requires a lot of kind of control and actually looking at the details to make sure, okay, I've got a mortgage to pay. I need to make X amount of thousand pounds or dollars in the next, in the first couple of months to be able to pay that. And the problem comes is that that, that you've got that on one side then you've got the other side about relinquishing control so that your your employees can engage and for a for a lot of vast majority of uh, entrepreneurs and business owners that just doesn't it just clashes and it just doesn't work because people just when it when it when it comes down to it people will um 
kind of go into themselves and they also won't uh, necessarily open themselves up to um, you know, as I said vulnerabilities and also be able to be, be honest with themselves about the fact that they don't trust the people that they, they maybe recruit as much and that may be not on them the employee that may be on themselves in terms of being able to relinquish that trust and I think until business owners or entrepreneurs actually look at themselves and think about the fact that maybe all this employee engagement actually isn't how isn't how um, isn't about the success of the, the recruitment. It's actually about how then themselves treat and you know, like you mentioned, be grateful for the people that are there and um, and the fact that they're willing to spend the majority of their waking life at your company or at your you know business or whatever it is. Um, I think that you know, that gratitude is, is really really important, but also having those mental kind of conversations and having that kind of understanding about who you are and know your strengths and weaknesses and be willing to put your hands up and go, look guys, I'm, you know, I, I, I suck at, you know, dealing with people. I suck at whatever, whatever the weakness is, you know, like you have to be willing to, to admit that because every single person has a weakness and anyone that says that they don't have a weakness or they don't admit it, they're just lying. That's all it is really. I, I, I think that's so right. You know, um, I used to, I used to wonder, when I first started my first business, I used to wonder why. Uh, so you got to remember, when I first started my first business, that was about 10 years ago. And so Instagram was starting to pick up. Facebook was obviously already out there. Twitter was starting to gain even more traction. And I used to wonder why I kept seeing like Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy and all these other. I was like, what the hell does that have to do with anything in entrepreneurship? And that honestly used to piss me off. And then. A couple of years later, after I lost that business, I then realized I was like, oh, personal development, aka erasing ego, aka really being comfortable with my own skin and being comfortable saying, I have no idea what I'm doing or what I'm talking about, aka that's why I'm hiring you and putting you in place because I really want to live into your values and live into your competencies and live into what you think is the right move. And I'm going to trust you and I'm going to relinquish that, that control. It has a lot to do with that. And so um, I, I think you're so right with that. And to be frank with you, I don't know if you noticed, Alec, you've been an entrepreneur for a while. Like there was a period of time where personal development was a big conversation within startups and entrepreneurship. And I think there's been a conversation that's dropped off a bit. Um, I don't think that's, I don't know why, why that reason is, but I think that needs to come back because now being my old age of 30, um, I now realize uh, that is so valuable. Um, and, and I pardon my French on this one guys, but, uh, you know, one thing I tell my, my founders, um, and my partners, I don't, I don't give a shit. I really, really don't like at this point in my life, I don't give a shit what the right answer is. I just want to know the truth. I just want to live into what you think is right and let's go with it. And the fact that you're willing to try the fact that you're willing to make, you know, make predictions and test and taste and try to make this dream that I have come true. I'm just grateful for that. I have no ego around what I think is right or wrong because my background does has nothing really to do with the present moment. The complexities of this startup world are very different than when it was four years ago. So in this exact moment, I hired you or I found you to live into what you think is right. And I have no shit about, I don't give a shit about my own personal perspectives. Like I, I just, I want you to be right rather than me, frankly. Yeah. And I think it's really, um, I think it's really important. Like this is one thing that I kind of, whenever people start or I kind of um, talk to anyone that wants to hear, one of the things I say quite a lot is that um, 
no one is no one knows everything no one is an expert everyone is still learning and developing and obviously well in our in our industry as well it because it touches technology literally every day it changes but even more so obviously with with what's going on with the world at the moment um we don't know what the next government regulation is going on i mean obviously in america you do have an election coming up soon so you don't know what's going on with that um and obviously you know the uk has other other kind of political things as well so um there really are no kind of certainties and i think um you have to embrace the the fact that every single day could be different and actually when you do that you realize that no, you don't know everything and you actually feel comfortable with knowing that because yes you may one of the things i say to team members as well who join us is like not knowing everything is fine but um but being able to know how to find that information is, is what we're looking for because yeah. chances are the problem that you're having is not um it's not like the first time anyone in the world has ever had that problem before it's a solved problem it's a it's something that has some debate or discussion around which you can form your own opinion on but there are obviously everyone has the ability to to research that and find out the solution for themselves but i think it's really important that everyone is kind of um uh they, they kind of you know they realize that they are still a work in progress every single person is still a work in progress it's just people have had different head starts depending on um you know backgrounds or you know money or you know parents or whatever education or loads of different things i think but ultimately everyone is still still a work in progress yep yep so sarah i'm kind of doing you maybe if you want to take it take it off there <laughs> excellent um well that's really really fantastic um there's actually a question come in so um nick um, who is a great friend of us at One Up Coworking and Signable, and he said he's uh, self-employed um, himself, but um, thinking long term with the end in mind um, when he starts sort of recruiting and it becoming a bigger thing. Um, what would your advice be on putting a plan or a big picture or culture in place ahead of future growth and intern recruitment? Is this something that he can be start to think about while he's just a solo business? You want me to go, maybe? You go. Yeah, 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 you go. For yeah, it. no. Um, so that's interesting. There's there's a couple of ways you can go about that because that that's interesting. I actually just talked to a founder about this recently. Um, I, th I think there needs to be a certain level of principles that you set in place. What I don't think you can do is I don't think you can create this big blue, big big outline of this big blueprint that you're going to follow to the T because there's too many complexities to be able to follow that. I think the principles that you lay are going to be important. Um, and so how to go about those principles and what those principles should be. I'm not here to tell you what those are. I think there's a lot, I think, you know, this is one thing. I think there's too many podcasts and videos where people tell you what the, what the principles should be. Transparency, uh, uh, honesty, and like all these, all these kind of buzzwords. I'm not here to do that. I don't know you well enough. I'm not going to, you know, I'd have to sit down one-on-one -on -one and audit you as an individual, but you need to audit yourself and you need to set those principles for yourself and what you feel is going to be the type of culture and the type of environment and the type of leadership capabilities that you want to build around yourself. I know for me, I kind of call those my promises, right? So I know for me, you know, I, I, you know, one joke and joking, going back to the not giving a shit. One of my promises to my team is I promise to continue to not give a shit. Um, I promise that I, I don't care. 
I just want to get to the truth. My ego is, is non-existent. That's another promise. Like I will consistently have zero ego. Ego is the enemy. And if you haven't, you know, Ryan, shout out to how Ryan Holiday, because that's an amazing book, by the way. Um, and then, you know, so on and so forth. And so I think better than trying to set out like this big map or this big blueprint of what your culture is going to be, because there's so many complexities to that. Like going into like, like a lot of people don't understand how like employer branding or like decision-making models or workflow structures, how all those things can impact your culture. Um, you don't have to get into that stuff. There's just no way you're going to be able to know it until you actually start to have a team. But what are your promises? What are your principles that you as a leader are going to always commit to? Because inevitably the culture is going to be led and um, energized off of how you are and how you show up for your first employee or how you show up for your first partner and so on and so forth. So, maybe kind of outlining those promises, understanding what those are and sticking to those and, 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 and promising yourself that you're going to stick to, to those. I think, you know, if I were to throw out one promise that I think you should adopt is being comfortable with other people putting you in your place. I think one thing that I really appreciate is I kind of pass the baton onto my partners and to my employees and say, look, keep me in line, keep me in check. I'm giving you the right, no matter how stressed I look, I'm, no matter how upset I am, no matter whatever the circumstances is, keep me in line and keep me in check. Here are my promises that I've made and outlined before you guys even came here. I want to I want to continue to adhere to these. So please let me know. Send me an email. Schedule a one-on-one. Call me. Um, be very direct with me. Um, and I think that's needed because, you know, one thing I was talking to my partner about is as you're building an organization, as you're building a culture, I think, and I'll, again, you know this, like everything we're saying is great and dandy right now, but when it gets into the thick of it and you have a lot of decisions to make, when you're trying to align partners and vendors and, and make and, and, and build product or tools or, or hire other people or dealing with your wife, your kids, paying, paying payroll bills, like shaking it a little crazy. And so if you have people that kind of hold you accountable to those things that you set up in the very beginning to kind of keep you honest, I think that's important. And, and passing that baton and being open to having people keeping you accountable is necessary. Uh, and ego, again, I, go, I want to go back to that. Ego is the most important thing to completely erase. Um, so those would be my, my, my thoughts on that. I think, um, I think, uh, I think erasing ego, uh, I completely agree. I think, uh, and I think erasing ego is, uh, for most people, it's definitely easier said than done. I think um, yeah. it's something that I think I definitely am, I work on every single day to kind of, you know, retrain, like pull myself in. But I think, you know, on the, on the question itself, um, if you're a, you know, one man band and it's just you, for example, you know, the business culture is you, the business is you, it's a hundred percent you. So, um, I think the word culture is um, used to um, to kind of represent a positive culture, but actually um, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be this like, um, you know, unlimited holiday vacation time or like, you know, free health insurance. Well, like, it doesn't have to be that. What it has to be is true. It has to be true and it has to mean something to you. So if you're a one-man band or if you're, you know, company with one person or two people or just you, then... I think the, the first thing to, to write down is, or the first thing to think about is, okay, what what is it about, what makes me me? What is important to me, my ideals, my values? Because at the beginning, when it is just that one person, that is what the company's personality is. The company personality is the founder's personality. And 
being able to kind of write those down and kind of articulate them, I think is a really, really good first step because then you've got kind of you know, four, five, six lines or bullet points where it's like, I, you know, take shit, I take no shit from anyone. I stand up for what's right. You know, these kind of statements, which a lot of the time people think about their, their personal statements, their personality traits, but actually for a company, they, they, they can start out like as a personality trait and then evolve from there. And I think from, from our point of view, you know, when I, um, when I, I remember when, um, when it, was, it was just me and, you know, we were recruiting the first person, um, I didn't, I didn't do that. You know, I didn't think, I didn't write stuff down about, um, uh, about me. I just kind of was me. I just kind of was true to what I actually kind of, um, am. So, you know, I'm sarcastic and can be, you know, quite dry. So I just acted like me because otherwise fake culture is, is terrible. You know, if you're trying to pretend to be something you're not, people will see through it and it ends up poisoning it for the, for the future. So I think the important thing is, is just to be true, whatever it is. If you're a dick, be a dick. You know, there are lots of people out there that will work for dicks and like take it and take the money, whatever. Just embrace it. Like, but if you're not, like, whatever it is, just just embrace who you are, and that culture of you will become your company over time. Um, and that will that will then grow and develop as more people add add to it as well. Now, now be conscious that if you're an asshole, um, be conscious that. That may impact your dollars at some point. <laughs> you oh, may have, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you may have significant turnover. Uh, so, so. However, there are lots of assholes out there that run really successful companies. That's so, very uh, fair. It's not, it's not mutually exclusive. However, I think the important thing is like they're, they're just, yeah, they know. That's very they are. fair. <laughs> I, I will, I will add this one thing. Um, you know, one thing that I'm trying to help founders do, uh, educate yourself. So though you can't begin the process of building out a lot of the deep internal structures, let me just list off a few things that you should be thinking about that you can educate yourself on. You know, there's a ton of resources and a ton of content on hiring and recruiting processes and infrastructures and ways of thinking and models. There's a ton of information on employer branding at some point. There's a ton of information on uh, workflow structures, workflow design, um, you know, decision-making models, um, you know, uh, leadership behavior, change management. There's a ton of information on these very micro aspects that inevitably impact your culture that more founders need to read up on and know at a macro. You don't need to be expert at a micro, but if you start to read up on them early enough in the process at a macro, once you start to actually have a team around you, you can then look at your book of notes because I advise you make notes, not just read it. Like I advise you make notes and then you can start to call on certain little micro things and then just plug them in because the only way you're actually going to learn is by knowing that it's out there and like having awareness and then jumping in and trying to tangibly activate that. So I do think there is value in, um, in starting the process of educating yourself, even though you do not have a team yet. Um, too many founders go ad hoc at it, uh, and that works. But I, I think it's better to do it the other way. Like if I had to go back to the very beginning, I wish I would have had like a six-month head start of just the macro understandings of these things to form my point of view. Like once you have your own point of view, like you said, if you want to be an asshole and that's your point of view, then that's your point of view. But I think forming your point of view, forming your truth and allowing information to maybe even adjust your truth, your point of view is necessary. Um, and so the earlier, the better, I would say. Mm -hmm.
Excellent, some great points. And um, yeah, Nick, Nick seems happy, which is all good. Um, so we sort of, you guys have kind of touched on, and Ollie just now, um, about things like recruitment processes. Um, so I think at the moment, especially, a lot of people are going through a lot of um, recruitment processes. And how do you think um, that's a good way to sort of, you know, start, you know, as a starting point for somebody, the first the first time they actually kind of come into company and understand the culture and how do you make that process better for employees you know potential employees coming into your company i think um I'll take yeah yeah sure um i think um uh i think you have to be honest all the way through the process um and um i think for for us obviously right now yeah we are recruiting um quite a lot um and um it's uh, it's obviously you know the world the world at the moment it obviously has a different slant on the 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 numbers quality the type of recruitment the pace it has to be at as well because obviously people are a little bit more um eager to, to kind of come into roles and things like that but but one of the things that stays relatively or stays the same with us is that um we we try and pitch them on culture fit first on values um, we, we, uh, the first conversation we have with them is not about their technical expertise at all, or it's not about whether they can necessarily fit the, um, uh, they can fit the, obviously the job role because they've been kind of filtered to a CV, but really it's about their values. Do their values match up with the company? Um, and are they, um, are they willing to add something to the company? Because the other thing we don't want is we don't want a whole company of, you know, 30 people who are thinking, act and speak exactly the same. We want diversity. We want, um, you know, people to challenge yourself. You know, like you, like you mentioned, AJ, as well. I think it's you know, really true. I think people need to be, and I'm definitely guilty of this as well. But people need to be um, uh, willing to be called up on things and be able to kind of be um, pushed back on 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 points and viewpoints and things like that. And that's healthy. It's really healthy to do that. And then you know, once you come to a decision, you then move forward together as a company or as a team. But um, from a recruitment point of view, you know, as I said, we do we do a culture thing and and we, we talk to people and, and decide, and then we decide on whether they're technically right to the role. Um, only when they pass the kind of culture side of things, they actually, or the value side of things, that they actually go through. So, um, but it is really important because I think some you know, companies will be under pressure to hire right now, whether to fill roles that they had um, before and need them, you know, they needed them yesterday because their business has suddenly either taken off and come back to normal or not. Um, and so there's a lot of pressure around recruitment at the moment, um, but I think it's, it's still important to stay true to what your values are. And I maybe sound like a broken record in terms of what I'm saying, you know, honesty and values and all this kind of stuff. But I think your it has to be all the way through the process. The recruitment process is, and again, you know, using your words from earlier, um, AJ, everyone that applies for a role, um, you have to be extremely grateful that they do. So it means responding to them straight away within a matter of hours whether email or phone call because and not just leaving, not just ignoring them, no matter how many you get, because it's they 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 want to work at your company. They want to um to join you and the least you can do is just to say, even if they're not right for you, just to reply to them. Um just because it's it's decent human respect really. So there's a couple of things. I'm gonna speak fast. I suffer from severe ADD, so I'm already forgetting everything that I was thinking because I was thinking a lot of stuff. <laughs> Because as you were starting to talk, my brain just started going off. Um, let me go to this one. I ain't going to forget the other one. It's like I'm, they're dancing around here. Um, uh, the, the response factor is very, very important. I've seen a lot of companies 
uh, ignore things that are coming in. Um, and one thing that I want to speak on that's so a respond, like it's really not that big of a, uh, a tip or this big of a grandiose kind of perspective, uh, just respond, you know, be grateful, respond to every single person that comes through. Um, as you're responding though, um, I would actually lean into, especially if you're a smaller organization, I would lean into um, um, unpacking as many people as you can, at least on a phone call, and keep your eyes and your ears open for silver linings. I think something that is interesting is if you are hiring a person to do one function and then you get on the call, and if you're a good, if you're a good recruiter, if you're really not even recruiter, if you're a good leader, because we're, we're probably not talking to companies that are that big to, to have that internal capability. So if you're a good leader, what I think I've learned over time is to ask questions to keep my eyes and ears open for other capabilities that they have outside of the direct role. So that goes kind of back to the ego and the selfishness. I know you're there. I know whether it's COVID or even normal circumstances, I know you have a very direct perspective of what you're trying to hire that person for, but there should be about 15 to 20% of the conversation that keeps your ears and your eyes open for other capabilities, because even if they cannot perform exactly what you think they're gonna perform, there may be other ancillary functions that you were either considering getting off the ground or that you will be getting off the ground later on down the road, or maybe something you just got off the ground, you just made the mental decision that maybe you can massage them into that they may be open to figuring out how that can fit into their plan. I guess jumping off that as well. So, you know, once you're actually, I'm assuming you have them in the interview process now, career mapping. This is, this is really key. So now this is probably going to throw everybody off and I really hope it doesn't because I get a little crazy with this. So, I, I think of it like a 70-30 rule. 70% of what you selfishly, selfishly need them to execute, they have to hit every mark on that. Like you need to keep that, there needs to be a level of selfishness and ego, even though I know that's contradicting to what I'm saying, that you kind of obtain. You can't be so flexible that you just allow anyone to come in and kind of just do anything. If you're gonna start scaling and growing, there, there inevitably needs to not being a jack of all trades, or you kind of need to be drilling down on certain skill sets and being great at that. So that's the 70%. The 30% that I really like to see, nine times out of 10, if you're hiring someone to do a particular function, that is not their end all be all. If they were to go home and talk to their girlfriend, their husband, their wife, I landed the perfect dream job. This is it. And this is all. I'm so happy. Nine times out of 10, that's not the case. What is that perfect dream job? What are those perfect functions? What are those perfect things? Because as you scale your organization, you probably nine times out of 10 will need that. I'll tell you guys a perfect story. Naya uh, was the COO of the startup that, that uh, furloughed me and is no longer here. Um, Naya, behind the scenes, had a deep, 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 deep passion of being a writer, being a, being a journalist, and being someone that captured content and perspectives on behalf of a brand and put it out to the world at a macro level and started in, into new cultivations of building PR and, and kind of awareness for the brand at a very like journalistic kind of uh, like old school kind of nature, right? I really liked how he had that perspective. That was his 30% that no one had ever talked to him about before I joined the company. He was good at the COO responsibilities. He brought up the journalism things time to time, but no one really drilled down on it. The CEO admitted to me 
going back to the ego and selfishness conversation, that he didn't even want to lean into those comments that he was making that he heard because he was so good at being the COO. He was so good at the 70% and that he didn't want to risk, right? Because that's another thing. You got to go recruit someone. You got to go find them. Then you got to cross your fingers and hope that they match the, the culture, that you actually like them, that they're actually good, that they actually stick around. So he didn't lean into that. And so when I came and I said, look, let's split this up a bit. Naya, we're going to go through the process of trying to recruit someone. It's going to take us probably six months because we want to be very careful about it. I want to bring you in and I want to help you find that person as well because you know what's best for this role. The 30% though, we're going to start an internal blog. I want to get some internal communications off the ground internally. I want to get you out there doing some cultivations. I want to live into your 30%. We're going to pay you for that. It's going to be part of your new job role. So here's a little sprinkle 30%. The moments that you cannot accomplish that and it's kind of taking over your life. Let us know and we'll restructure and we'll pivot and we'll do what we have to do because I don't want to overbear you with too many responsibilities, but I want to have you lean into that 30%. The amount of engagement, the amount of gratefulness that he had was amazing. And so I guess back to the recruiting thing and I'll shut up. You know, in that beginning process, you have to, have to, have to unpack what is that 30? What are the other things they want to do? And then structurally, when you leave that, leave that interview and you know you're going to hire them, speak to yourself, speak to your executives and say, from the get-go, from the beginning, we are going to sprinkle in a 30 to 20% of those things along the way. That's going to keep that engagement there. And then as we start to develop them and as we start to scale, let's continue to move them into those categories that they really want to do. Um, and that's how I see retention and all these other great things that we could get into that are very micro starts to happen. Um, a lot of companies think I'm crazy for that because they think that's a waste of time. Uh, I do not. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Ali, but I know it's a, it's a little outside the box because it's, I don't know, it's not really outside the box. It's just something that I guess a lot of leaders don't think is a good use of time. Yeah. So I think, I think people, um, uh, we, I think we kind of try and do that. I think, um, maybe not so much as a like structured 70, 30, but I do like the idea of kind of thinking it about like, about it like that. Um, so it really gives you discipline to actually make sure that the role itself is, is the 70% and then that was that extra 30%. And, um, but it is something we, you know, is, is really important. And I think, you know, that comes back to my initial, like when I mentioned initially about the fact that, People do have all these interesting skills or talents or interests outside of the role that they are, of the role that they, they've applied for or that they, they're joining. Um, and it's important to honor them and respect them and be able to kind of see, okay, so, you know, in your spare time, you like to, I don't know, uh, you know, like to create, make movies and make films and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, uh, are there some skills and talents that maybe as a, as a role that you're applying for, you might be coming in as a salesperson, for example, that might be completely, you, know, you might think, well, that's, that's a waste of time, but actually maybe you, maybe that person could use that 30% to use some of the filmmaking skills to actually enhance their, their role and also then enhance, maybe become a new department, maybe become a new team, maybe, you know, have, you know, open up the opportunity for them both internally within the company and also externally for themselves as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th I think it is that people, people don't necessarily, I think a business owner's, tend to not think about it, I think because they are afraid that people are slacking off. Um, and I think that then comes down to like, how do you track productivity and things like that? And I don't want to necessarily get into that because that's a whole nother thing. But um, yeah. I think a lot of people do then just think, well, you know, if they're, if they're not doing exactly the role steps 
I've told them, then they're wasting time and they're on Facebook or they're on social media or whatever it is. And that's not the case. You have to trust people like adults because they are. Of course. And then a little tiny little more sugar I'm going to throw on top too is um, cheat a cheat a cheat sheet. So here's something that I learned about two and a half years ago, three years ago. Um, this is kind of the recruiting process. So once you recruit someone and then you start to onboard them, what I think is fascinating is, and you know this, Ali, like we as owners, we if we were to be honest with ourselves, if we were to get hooked up to a lie detector test, we are not keeping our pipeline full enough. We're we're doing last minute hiring. Someone, someone quits, someone lets us know a week before, someone, we have to fire someone because whatever the case is, and now all of a sudden we need a role and we're having to jump in and, and fulfill that role or we're having to do X, Y, and Z or someone else that doesn't have that same competency has to do X, Y, and Z. And that gives us anxiety because we know damn well they're not the person for that. Um, and so we tend to try to rush the onboarding process, which is not a good thing because we need them to get in there and do that work. What I think is fascinating, if you are gonna rush it, what I would recommend is creating a cheat sheet along the way. So, but, but have it be in the applicant's own words. So I don't care what the function is, there are things that you need to take away from that onboarding process, because you're not gonna step out of an onboarding process immediately ready to work like you've been there for six months. It doesn't work that way. So I've always recommended leaders sit there at the end of each onboarding day and look at the applicant and say, what, what have we learned today that we need to then re, retranscribe into your own words for you to look at later on once you actually get into the role? I think that's incredibly fascinating to kind of speed up the process of having productivity because then they can look at something. A lot of times we take these applicants and immerse them into the organization very quickly because we need them to get up to speed and they're not taking any notes or any processes along the way that they can walk away from. Um, so that's another little weird, quirky thing that I've done. That's excellent. That that actually sounds really quite useful. Um, definitely as someone, you know, like as an employee, um, actually sitting down on a day-to-day -day basis in your sort of first couple of weeks and going, right, what have I learned? What do I need to remember for later? That that's useful and actually I'll be um, at some point in the next few months recruiting more people for one up so that's a little tip I can hold on to um, for when I'm onboarding people so thank you very much there it is there it is we've had another uh, question from Nick and um, he said you both mentioned social media how important do you think social media visibility is to employer branding and attracting talent um, we uh uh, first, um, so I mean, I think to be honest, we've been looking at um, how our, how our brand looks to potential uh, potential employees through um, you know, career type websites and you know things like reviews of existing uh, people and videos of the office or videos of the, the culture and the values and everything else and, and images. But I think that isn't something that you sh you need to do straight away. I think that is something that evolves over time as you get to know your your employee brand or employer brand so much more. I think initially your employer brand comes back to this is you, this is what your company is. Um, and your employer brand could be just a bit of face to camera, you just saying, this is what I'm trying to build. You need to impart that passion. This is why I want you to join. And this is why I'm so passionate about this. People and the right people will see 
um, the right things from what you're trying to say. So it doesn't have to be hugely, and, and you know, social media is just a marketing channel. It's just another way to get the word out. Um, it shouldn't necessarily, for, for us anyway, it's not necessarily um, has any more preference over anything else. It's just a, a, another channel. And I don't think it's necessarily get wrapped up into how you deliver the message, um, just as long as you deliver the message. To, to jump on to jump on what he just said, uh, uh, I'm not going to plug directly what it is I'm working on because uh, it's not ready yet. But I will tell you something I am working on that I want to see more companies think about. This is another quirky thing. Um, so employer brings is interesting because a lot of people bullshit, uh, and I don't like that. What I mean by that is a lot of people take glossy. Fifteen twenty thousand dollar videos of the office, and say, "Hey, Sarah, this is what I need you to do. I need you to sit in front of the camera. I need you to look perfect today, and I need you to tell everyone how amazing this opportunity is." And you know what could have just happened? Sarah could have just got out a very, very, very stressful meeting. That, in her mind, she's made the decision to walk out of this company, but it's not here yet because she has bills to pay, she has kids to take care of, whatever the case is. So she's not going to look at this camera and make up this, this story. Um, that's what I'm seeing from the employer branding space and the social media space. So let me give you another suggestion. This is off your, your idea, Ali, Ali, that I really like. So I'm, I'm creating this function where essentially, I think companies should create more internal podcasts where they sit down with, in your case, it would be Ali, maybe even Sarah, since you guys, or since you seem like you're hiring people, sit down on a podcast for a 30, 40 minute piece of content where you guys are just very laid back as if you're getting a cup of tea or a coffee or a brew, whatever the case is. And you guys unpack how Ali and so how you guys think through decisions. What are the most important, productive, interesting problems you're solving right now? What state of the, is the company in right in this exact moment? What does this role mean to the company right now? What are you looking for out of this person to solve these problems? How are you going to appreciate ideas that come through? If they can hear you guys have a laid back kind of flying on the wall ad hoc conversation that is very detailed and very micro, you create that and then you find a way to spit that out to an employee applicant as they, as they uh, apply. I think that's a better piece of content rather than any glossy social media things that you would do because now they can actually get an understanding of who they're going to be led by, what the problems are, what's actually going on, how their role is going to impact that, what they expect from the, what they expect from this role and where this company is inevitably going and how they can fit into that. And they can sit back on their drive, heading into the office um, for their first interview. They can wake up in the morning before, you know, COVID situation before they go on Zoom and listen to it for an hour, you know, before the, the, the interview itself. Um, I think it's just a very interesting way uh, not to, not to, you know, crap on anything on social media and all the glossy videos, but I think back to your point before you even invest in all of that, it takes nothing to create a very quick video or a very quick ad hoc podcast where it's just Ali or Sarah or me. Cause I'm doing this recently. I'm doing this soon too. And just sit on the camera, sit on the podcast and just have a chat about what's actually happening. And then the employee can actually make a decision on whether they want to be a part of that company or not based off of your vibe, your attitude, the problems that you're solving, the role that they expect. It gives you a deeper context and a deeper look into what's actually happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I really uh, 
So yeah, I really like that idea, definitely. Just a, and then you've got the follow-on bits around, you know, it then becomes multiple pieces of content and yep. yeah, really, really, really useful. So that, that sounds great. More authentic. Excellent. Um, so are there any pitfalls that you've both found um, when sort of setting up your company and culture that you kind of want to share for other people to not make the same mistakes? Pitfall, pitfalls. Um, you mean like mistakes? Um, yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm not sure because I think it would be like mistakes and things. It's just it's just you learning. It's just you getting to grips of what you're doing. And I think you know, you can always make you always make the mistakes in terms of did I hire the right person? Um, were they? Um, were they you know, the wrong fit for the company or did I not test for this and they ended up being completely different to who to what I wanted. But I think, you know, as long as you can get learning out of it, as long as you then don't repeat the mistake, it's not, I kind of like to think as mistakes as if you do the same thing twice. If you do something once um, and in hindsight you realize it's a mistake, it's not necessarily a mistake, it's just a learning. If you obviously then go and do the same thing again, then that is a mistake, and that, that for me, that's more of a that's more serious. Um, but obviously, in the world of recruitment and the world of kind of HR and and everything else, those mistakes can be costly, both financially and also to the company. You know, you hire the wrong person, and they take all your they come and then they take all your customers or they take all your contacts, which you know can happen. But um, you know, part of my role in the company is to create this environment where um, mistakes like that don't end the company um, or mistakes like that can happen or that we create an environment that failure isn't kind of embraced and it's also in, not necessarily like encouraged to, 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 you know, to be really, really risky, but it is encouraged in that don't worry, the environment is safe, you know, um, you're not going to break something just by trying different things. Um, so, I mean, I suppose just to answer the question specifically, probably a big mistake and one of the reasons why the company isn't bigger or more successful as it is right now is um, we didn't recruit uh, I, I should have recruited about six nine months earlier than we did um, and you know hands up the reason why I didn't was just because I was scared it was because I was um, afraid of hiring the wrong person and being being sued or you know what all the kind of you hear all the kind of pitfalls and all the issues around um, dealing with people and how you know, suddenly when you have people um, that you have to lead or manage, it gets much more difficult. Um, so it, it put me off. So it took probably six to nine months of every day taking a brave pill and kind of really understanding about where the company was. And the thing that did it for me was actually to break down um, financially where the company was at that point, try and then project over the next 12 months, okay, this, you know, could we afford this salary? Yes, we can. What, okay, right now we can afford the salary. So how can we what additional value would they provide to the company? And that was then, that made it a no brainer. It made me feel much more comfortable about you know, this is something the company needs to do. It may feel a little bit awkward or a little bit uncomfortable for me, but it's the right thing for the company overall. That, that's, that's interesting. See, that, that was really micro that I think people will help, will really take, take value from. Um, I think, I think a mistake, um, cause I, I've, I've heard a couple of times you were saying, hiring the wrong person and making mistakes. I think, you know what I think is a mistake? I think a mistake is um, not having enough 
openness as a leader to have employee mobility. Um, I think, what do I think? I think this is what I think. My ADD is kicking in. Um, this is what I think. I think when you hire someone for a particular role and it does not work the way you thought, whether they finessed or BSed their competencies or whether they, for whatever reason, don't work well with their direct report or they're just their speed in which they execute tasks does not fit well with the culture. I think, and I've seen this and I made this mistake, you immediately fire them and say it's not a good fit. What you could do and what I think more people should do is if you're having weekly one-on-ones, if you're having monthly one-on-ones, if you're really, if you're really knowing your employees, you probably know some other ancillary skills that they have. And nine times out of 10, if you really look around and they're, and they're kind of a decent person, like that's, that's the biggest thing. If their values are good and they're a good human being and like you want to be around them, then I think instead of firing them, I think what a lot of companies should consider is mobility. Where, can, where else can you move them? How can you shift them? How can you pivot them? I think if you do that, now, a lot of people have fear with that because then they're saying, well, what about the role that I hired them for? Well, you still got a gap. You still have a hole. And that's a problem. But you're going to have a problem anyway. If you, if you fire them, they're not going to be there. They're still going to have the hole. Now, if you move them, you now have someone that's doing something that's actually in the best interest of where they want to be. And you're getting that skill and that competency kind of solved. And, just, and you still have the hole. But in my opinion, it's like a plus one rather than a negative negative. Because now you still have that other gap there and now you have this gap here. So, you know, as long as their values and the morals and the, the culture, like the vibe that they bring to the organization is in the right place, which you hire some assholes from time to time, you hire some, some oddballs, but for the most part, people are good people. Um, I think the next step is like, being very cognizant about the mobility and bring them into that conversation. Cause typically if someone's not good at a skill, it's typically because of a lack of development within the organization. It's typically a lack of communication. It's typically a lack of transparency about what the role actually needed. Um, it's typically a lapse on both ends, not just the employee. Yeah, and definitely. so, yeah, yeah I think, I think also then, um, uh, I think you, you as a company, you also don't know the type of roles you're going to be recruiting for in the next kind of three, six, 12 months time. If you're growing quite quickly or you want to grow and you've got kind of quite high plans, you know, I, I can speak for ourselves as a company. We are, we are recruiting people right now who you know, started last Monday, who um, in 12 months time might be in a new team that doesn't even exist in the company right now because over the last over the next 12 months we would have refined that and realized that okay we do need that and realized that they fit so yep. I think that mobility is extremely you know, I, I completely agree and it's a great point that the mobility is extremely important I think um, and it obviously has to be balanced to make sure that if there is a gap that you're trying to, to fill they help in some way but maybe not fill it completely but at least then can and give the company more value for something that you may have it may have blindsided you and not realize that you actually know maybe you don't need um maybe you don't need someone who uh i don't know runs social media maybe you need a marketing manager who runs everything you know and and maybe that that's where your real value is because again that is also um this whole assumption of knowing where you have to fit the people in the right roles 
is the assumption that you um you know what you know 100% what you're doing which no one really ever is they're kind of trying to evolve make the right decisions make the best decisions not necessarily the right decisions the best decisions for them and their company and and you don't you're learning every day about what they are yep yep excellent um so um there's no more questions and sort of looking at the time i'm just gonna sort of say is there anything else that either of you guys want to contribute that you feel hasn't been touched on tonight i mean i think i think now is a good opportunity actually because obviously um you know based in the uk and obviously um aj's based in the us as well is that you know there's huge differences between um uh how employees employee engagement and experience um both in the uk and the us especially you know specifically you know there are more differences around like you know sales roles for example obviously the, the way of the british way of selling is not really to sell and hope that you badger them into doing it and obviously the american side is a little is, is, is more different and um yeah but um so the way that people and also then obviously the expectations in terms of what you get you know like it's notoriously that uh, in America, obviously, it's different in, in certain industries, but you know, vacation time or holiday time is is less in the U.S. from a, a legal point of view, and and what they're kind of willing to, to move around on, and so I think there are huge differences between them, and I think it's um uh, obviously now it's just a good opportunity to to kind of you know talk a little bit about that. And I know from my point of view, we you know because we because signable the, the electronic signature platform is. Um, competing against UK, uh, US companies as well, I think you know it, it is on the leading edge of um, the way that American companies run from a technical point of view and from a people point of view. But um, there's still lots of differences, really. Like, um, but I'm not sure how. Like, AJ, have you have you had much experience in terms of how like the differences between the two? Because I personally haven't, to be honest. Um, no, that's that's not a strength of mine. I. I, I don't know what's happening over where you guys are. I know here, see, I'm the wrong person to ask because I'm crazy. Uh, I, I know here uh, benefits are, this is what I know, actually. Let me stick into my pocket. My answer directly is no. I am not fond of the differences. Um, I know that in the States, there's, um, it's from what I hear, it's much tighter uh, of the of the amount of flexibility that they're willing to provide around benefits and time off. But here's what I'll say. Um, there are some companies that are out here in the States, and I have been doing this and I will continue to do this, where that they audit contextually of what the employees want from a benefits and compensation perspective that 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 drives the decision. So here's what I mean. So typically what happens is, and any new entrepreneur, any new leader listening to this, typically in the States, what happens is a leader will start to look at other companies, start to do their research. They may even hire an outside consultant to tell them, hey, put together a benefits process for me. Put together a compensation package for me that is respected and competitive to the market. What I always try to tell companies is mind your business. And this is what I mean. Contextually audit what your people right now need. They will tell you, start there. Now there are some legal aspects in the States that like, for instance, if Sarah tells me I got three kids, I, I got 
$100,000 in school debt. And I know the school debt's not an issue for you guys over there, right? No. Um, I got $100,000 in school debt. I got three kids. And I want to get this small business off on the side, off the ground. I need to make 85000 But you, Ali, tell me, I don't have any kids. I'm scrappy. I live pretty basic. I really only need 50. And you guys do the same thing. There's a little bit of laws that, that stop that from happening. So when I do this contextual audit, there are some laws that stop me. But what you can do is you can create an audit about at a baseline level, at a macro level, where is everyone at in the moment right now? Personal financial needs, benefit desires, do they have kids? Are they, do they have any health issues? Do they, do they have any aspirations outside of work? Do they have any other passions that they want to tap into? What contextually are your employees looking for? What in their minds do they think is a competitive price financially that they're looking for? What in their minds contextually do they need based off of their, their contextual living circumstances and experiences financially? Use that as your benchmark to then create your, 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 your benefits and your compensation processes. Not, and I'm telling, and, and maybe it's the same way over there. What companies in America do, they go on LinkedIn, they hire outside consultant, even small businesses do this. And they say, what's out there? Like, I don't know. I want to be competitive, but I don't want to be too aggressive. Give me the middle ground and, you know, put a benefit and compensation plan. And, and they, they never speak to the employees. And then they wonder why there's such a disconnect and what they put in place contingent to what the employees actually need, AKA or want. Audit the employees first. So that's maybe my last kind of final thought on this whole thing. Every single thing you put in place should be contextually audited of the employee. That does not mean that you're gonna hand over a civil platter to the employees and give them everything they want. But what you can do to give yourself a shot at getting a little bit closer is if you contextually audit the realities of the employees and then use that data to make your decisions on the processes that you're putting in place. Most companies are not doing that. Most companies are doing the reverse. Um, and then they wonder why they have problems. So um, that's what I would say. I don't know how that matches up where you guys are, but. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm crazy, but. <laughs> I think sometimes you need to be. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us in learning about employee experience. I definitely learned something. Hope you did too. If you'd like to check out our upcoming events, head to our events page or click the link below. We've got some amazing topics to help you as a small business coming up soon. So make sure you have a look. We also have a Facebook and LinkedIn group for support and discussions with other small business owners. So go visit One Up Coworkers to join the conversation. Thanks and see you soon. Mm -hmm.